All right. Welcome, everybody. We are live with Tim McMillan. He's a retired uh, lieutenant from the police force. He's done some intelligence analysis and also uh, has been an investigative reporter, largely uh, writing about UAPs, the whole UFA, mm -hmm. UFO situation. Um, and the great thing with Tim is that he has some remarkable sources. Um, he gets a lot of really deep great information, which is especially helpful right now when we have so many uh, important things going on, uh, especially uh, as of yesterday when the New York Times mm -hmm. dropped another bomb on all of us, another important story that they have out there. So uh, we'll be talking mm -hmm. about that. And I guess my first question, Tim, um, are your initial observations with the New York Times article? Well, you know, I'll be honest. You know, with you and I'm sorry. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess we should summarize the article first. Sure. Um, yep. Let me do that real quick. Just yeah. The, essentially, mm -hmm. the article was titled that you know, uh, it's titled "No Longer in Shadows." Pentagon UFOs unit will make some findings public. I think that title was a bit misleading. Uh, some people have said they buried the lead, which I think they did. I think it should have been titled "Government Officials." claim uh you know government has ufo debris or the government has ufo crashes um i think something like that should would be more accurate but sorry go ahead no yeah no no actually i'm glad you i'm glad you kind of elaborated on that because it it helps for me my initial impression when you, when you read the article set the tone because there was uh there appeared to be and it probably you could see it too being a journalist and writing for other outlets there's a conflict in in the piece meaning you're right the headlines as you know editors put that out so that, that's you know the writers don't choose their headlines they can try but nine times out of ten so you kind of saw what the editor's tone was <laughs> what, what maybe they wanted mm. and there was this interesting mix of where uh, it, it seemed to be two separate mutually exclusive themes one was the idea of uh, UFO crash debris that the government may have in their possession or somebody has in their possession that this that, Simply these events have occurred, but then you also had the UAP task force and the Senate select uh, provision that just came out. So there's this weird convoluted thing because I, I, there's nothing with that latter Senate provision. I've not heard anything or seen anything and heard from anybody that's working in that, that whole domain that crash retrievals or anything is, is a part of that. So what the ONI task force, that if they're doing that, that's nothing I've heard of. But then you do also had the... Uh, Kind of this inclusion of the crash material yeah i had to read it a couple times because i think one of the problems is especially if you paid attention to the topic uh, for the last month two months um i think there was an expectation set by this article that <laughs> was going to come out we'd heard a lot of things that were going to be shared here you know it, this was going to be it like uh you know, this we were going to find out what happened at roswell and you know just short of showing us the alien bodies and, and that wasn't um, what came out in the article. <laughs> you know, it did mention some crash retrieval stuff. I had to when I read it again and s tried to, to picture it as if I hadn't heard any of the other stuff, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think for the general reader, it, it's an interesting topic. It does, you know, get their attention that there is some tangible, real action going on in government with the UAP task force. I will say there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of proving that UFO crashes uh, or was the term that was initially used, otherworldly craft 
have crashed and they've been recovered. If that was the goal, that I don't think that proved it. Certainly mm -hmm. not conclusively. I think for the general public or UFO people, that didn't prove that that's true yet. Um, right. Really interesting. Yeah, I think that the the article was interesting. I thought it was for the New York Times super sloppy. Uh, it almost felt uh, a little bit uh, Frankenstein. I mean, pieces from one person, uh, from another, like lots of voices, you know, as, as mm -hmm. someone who writes and you can kind of hear the voices of the uh, writers usually in their writing. Mm -hmm. And in this one especially, and I don't mean to be picking on R Ralph Blumenthal or Leslie Kane, who wrote the article, because mm -hmm. there's no doubt, kind of like you said, the editors got in here and they really hacked it up and made a lot of changes. So it certainly just doesn't lie on just Leslie and Ralph as far mm -hmm. as any potential problems that have arisen, of which already some have. But uh, I think that's part of the issue. And like you said, yeah, unfortunately, as writers, which is, of course, a frustration for all of us because we have to deal with the uh, the the fallout. It, we don't get to choose our headlines. Our editors do. And we're, <laughs> as far as me, you know, most people are rarely satisfied with what their editors uh, choose because uh, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> represent what message we're trying to write. But I want to give mm -hmm. a couple examples real quick on a couple corrections and uh, statements that you had talked about. Mm -hmm. This is what was surprising to me is that it really relied on opinion. Um, it said that Elizondo uh, was convinced that there were UFO crashes, something he hasn't said. But I did contact with him and I said, hey, you've never really said this. And he said, true, but I stand by it. So uh, he stands mm -hmm. by that statement, which I think is significant. Also, it says Harry Reid believes something similar. Now they had to correct Harry Reid's comment. Um, here's their correction. An earlier version of this article inaccurately rendered remarks attributed to Harry Reid, the retired Senate Majority Leader from Nevada. Mr. Reid said he believed that crashes of objects of unknown origin may have occurred and that retrieved material should be studied. He did not say that crashes had occurred and that retrieved material had been studied secretly for decades. That is quite a difference. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of already what is kind of a toothless <clears throat> article. It takes some more teeth out of it. So we're kind of left to the belief of these, these people without providing proof. In fact, it even says no physical proof provided. The only one really going on the record and saying, Hey, I know this is happening and I've briefed people on it is Eric Davis mm -hmm. of which there are kind of some issues, uh, with his past comments mm -hmm. on these items as well. Sure. I mean, here's the thing, and, and I, I totally agreed with uh, what George Knapp recently said when he was on Joe Rogan, when he, you know, he mentioned this article possibly coming out and said, but I, I don't know because it's a tough sell. And to expand on what he said, there's not just a tough sell to an editor and outlet. It's a tough sell to provide really conclusive, gripping evidence that this idea of that uh, UFO crashes, craft have been recovered, this type of thing, to provide that evidence and validate it. Um, because let's take out, uh, let's take the UFO kind of 
excitement out of it. And, and consider what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about government cover-ups, conspiracy uh, at high levels of government. We're talking about serious political uh, issues, things that go beyond just, you know, whether someone's interested in UFOs or not, the average person should be interested if their government has lied to them, misled them, done all these things. And so you're going to want to know why. Why is this happening? You, you know, you have a faith and trust in government issue here. This that's a this is a real this is a Watergate level story. It, and so you've got to bring it Watergate level and be able to prove it to that. And, and I think that's why uh, this, you know, I have never come across. I've heard a lot of good stories, good stories from people who I respect, um, people who have good credentials. But they besides just that good story, they don't have any evidence to, to back that up. And so that's why I've always stayed away from it, because it's such an explosive story. If true, you've got to bring that nuclear bomb of a story to bring it to the public. And, and I think that's probably would be the biggest issue if they were going to tie in the crash retrieval stuff it is kind of I think that's the problem. Some of the times with a lot of these UFO stories, this complaint that people have is they're not treated seriously. And to me, if true, it wasn't treated seriously. It wasn't presented seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, they said, this, if you can prove it, that's a big deal. <laughs> um, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, in anticipation, of course, like you said, there was a lot of hype that the big, mm -hmm. you know, the big the bomb will be dropped by the New York Post <laughs> and to prove all of these things, which hasn't happened. But in uh, I did expect that they would perhaps touch on the idea mm -hmm. of crash retrieval. So I wrote my Roswell piece um, just a couple of weeks or just yesterday or last week. And the reason I did that is just to kind of demonstrate, even in the, this case that is touted as the best case, there are a lot of questions and there's a lot of, uh, you know, suspect and dubious, you know, mm -hmm. testimony related to that one. So that case, Roswell is not a slam dunk. Uh, and then mm -hmm. when we get to Eric Davis, and I like Davis, I think he's great. I think uh, the stuff he's done is really interesting. But, you know, if you were to look at the uh, Davis from an unbiased standpoint, um, mm -hmm. and I'm really shocked that, you know, he, they did not, um, you know, substantiate, or at least they didn't speak to Davis's credibility in this article at all, which really leaves them open to someone else doing it because Eric Davis has uh, claimed that he's seen creatures come out of portals, uh, you know, in Utah. He has uh, claimed, for instance, that more lately, you know, the, the latest things he's claimed is that he had this talk about crash retrievals with this admiral mm -hmm. and the admiral says that's, that's not true. Um, that's kind of mm -hmm. a big deal. Uh, the other thing is, you know, this MJ-12 document that he's allegedly uh, saying mm -hmm. is real is so incredibly dubious. There's there's dozens of problems with this document that, that show it's an overt, overt mm -hmm. fake. And uh, so there are a lot of issues with relying on this one person. So, uh, like you said, if this is true, and I think... Having said all that, the mm -hmm. article has a lot more in it than I expected. Mm -hmm. And I do think that if, where there's smoke, there's fire. If, if Elizondo and Reed are saying this, to your point, mm -hmm. if this is true and information, credible information comes out to back this up, 
that is a huge deal that we have a crashed alien spacecraft. <laughs> I mean, come on. If that comes out to be uh, a real and even us who are interested in this topic are skeptical. Holy mm -hmm. cow, that changes a lot. How is the public going to react? There are so many implications um, and national security implications to that. Um, it's really scary. In fact, you know, there's there's a gentleman, um, a PhD, I forget his name, in, in political science who wrote about the dangers of sovereignty, the dangers mm -hmm. that uh, the potential of the revelation of, of intelligent civilizations out there could undermine even government and people's faith in government like you were speaking to those are big deals sure and, and i think that that's always and it may just come from my background and, and kind of how i think about it because i do take the more national security approach to, to everything you know, i come from a a defense homeland security type background and so um, yeah, the idea, uh, probably I push back on a lot of conspiracy type stuff more than others. And it's not just because I want to keep things legitimate and pragmatic, but it's also because uh, <clears throat> behind a lot of these conspiracies, if you get to the core of them, they relate to undermining and, and seeding kind of a divisive view towards government. And I mean, that is, you know, that is exactly what foreign adversaries try to do i mean we've seen that with the elections and stuff like that so i oddly enough though you know, i push back on conspiracies i'm also have this side conspiracy where i'm looking and wondering well who's saying this stuff and why you know who mm -hmm. why is this information and i'll say to to what you were just describing about eric davis and the point there with the wilson memos and the 1961 uh special national intelligence estimate one thing that I, I can't get out of my head that continues to nag at me is that I think people have just dismissed and totally pushed to the side another set of documents that were leaked with those Wilson Davis memos. And those were the Kit Green emails uh, between Dr. Kit Green, uh, Dr. Hal Putoff, and Dr. Eric Davis describing the alien autopsy video in which uh, Kit Green was saying it was real to them. Now, I've spoken to Kit Green, and he's very candid about that and said, Someone, you know, he didn't tell me who, but someone uh, did indeed tell him it was real, did lead him to believe it. He doesn't know why they did that. He knows that they are lying. He knows that it was a hoax. He doesn't know why they tried to deceive him. Um, you know, Kit Green, I think, take out the UFO stuff, you know, about him. If you look at him in general, back to his career in the CIA, he was a very accomplished uh, scientific, technical, medical officer with the CIA big time mm -hmm. with weapons of mass destruction. He was the chief uh, technology officer for Asian uh, affairs for General Motors. So, I mean, he's held some high level positions and he, uh, you know, taken out all his UFO stuff and the, and the, the stuff he's done, with, whether it be for injuries with UFOs and whatnot. Uh, he's a very accomplished medical professional in the, in the fields of like ADHD research and, and everything. I mean, he's an accomplished professional, but someone was able to present a convincing enough hoax. So whoever this was, was able to convince him enough that this video, we know, he knows now it was fake, was real at one point in time. And so uh, none of us, no matter what credentials we hold behind us, no matter how accomplished we are, are beyond being fooled. And I think that's where the peer review process comes into everything. That's, that's science, whether it's any type of serious investigation. And so, um, you know, that's where, like I said, if you're going to bring a topic like crash retrievals of alien, I mean, if true, we may be talking about the, the 
biggest uh, development in human society since development of the language. You know, this mm -hmm. idea, well, we're not alone and we're being visited. Uh, you got to really put some work into and make sure that that's airtight and, and you can fully prove it because um, the ramifications just across the board are something significant. I think that if I had to say it, and I don't critique the writers, because just like you said, there's so much goes into the process when you're writing an article. Um, I don't know if, you know, for all we know, the editors may be the one, hey, add some crash stuff. Mm -hmm. That'll be cool. It'll get more readers. You know, we're assuming that they want to add it in, but we don't know that. Uh, maybe they wanted to just do one on the UAP task force. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, right. that would be my only critique is I just think it, it because of the subject, it should have been, it's got to be taken a lot more seriously than maybe it mm -hmm. was. Well, and you make a good point too. Uh, and I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I've also mm -hmm. been talking about the other documents that had come out with that, the mm -hmm. Wilson document, which yep. is this, these notes allegedly mm -hmm. from Eric Davis that outline his discussion with this Admiral Wilson who denies that it happened. Um, it should also be noted that Eric Davis has not commented on these notes, although mm -hmm. many people who have said mm -hmm. they've talked to Eric Davis about it in the past have come out and said, yeah, we, you know, mm -hmm. he told us about it. We believe it's real type of thing. Um, so who knows if it is real, but with this kind of suite of documents that came out, you're, you're right. This kick green one, I think is really important um, in that uh, it demonstrates these guys are humans that they are prone to mm -hmm. uh, being fooled just like anyone else. Yeah. And these mm -hmm. MJ-12 sure. documents, for instance, that researchers, including myself, I think have demonstrated mm -hmm. their hoaxes, um, are uh, have fooled a lot of people. So are these mm -hmm. guys being fooled? That is a possibility. A lot of people think, oh, people in the know have all the answers or they, they know whether or not, you know. But without providing evidence, we're left to believe <laughs> that were these guys fooled, by this hoax, sure. faked information, we don't know. Um, I also, I want to hear your comments. This is a great comment from a Kurt. He said, "It could be that Reed wanted his comments walked back and asked for the correction." I would disagree with this, and I'd love your point on this because people have said this. A lot of people are assuming that the Reed and Elizondo um, paraphrases essentially are uh, due to their conversations. <sighs> for this story. I don't believe that to be the truth. I don't think that's true. I think they're paraphrasing past comments. Why do I say that? If they interviewed them for this article, they would have used direct quotes, but they didn't use direct quotes. This is highly unusual too. Not only did they not use direct quotes, they didn't reference where these statements were made and now they're having to correct them. So I think it it's more indicative of incorrect paraphrasing of previous public comments that they've made. Uh, no, I agree. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, you would have, have expected if this was an interview that had been conducted specific to this topic and, and they spoke to uh, Senator Reid and said, hey, so what are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll speak to myself. I would have used direct quotes. And then again, given the given what he was attributed to initially, uh, I would have made darn sure I'd have said, listen, I want to make sure this is, you know, this accurately re reflects what you said and what your real opinion is. Um, 
and I think even especially with something like this, where you're trying to get them to go on record as a uh, an anecdotal source. So they're going to give you testimonial evidence to something. You want to make sure that it's testimony they're going to stand behind. You know, if they get called to the stand, they get called in public. Hey, did you? Yeah, I said it. And here's why. Because that was the other thing that's lacking with all of it is um, I want why? You know, I want to. I, 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 that's important. I think we can say, uh, well, Eric Davis had an accomplished career. I, I will not doubt that. And outside of just UFOs, I think if you look at his aerospace work, I mean, he, he's touched in a lot of fields going back to the late 1980s. Um, and so I, I'm not going to doubt that at all. But but why does he believe that, that we have crashed vehicles or, you know, craft have crashed? Why does he believe that? Why would Senator Reid believe that? Uh, well, and important. it is important. <clears throat> and and to, on that point, I asked Eric Davis about a year ago mm -hmm. on my podcast if he believed this and why. And I really kind of mm -hmm. I, I grilled him on it and he really went off and uh, he shared why. And so it's another bit of a bit of a frustration because I know at least Leslie Kane knows my work and is probably aware of that podcast. But I mean, it's laid out there and essentially he's hearing from people, he said. He was told by mm -hmm. people he was in a skiff, which is kind of weird because that's a secure environment. I don't know that he should be sharing anything that he hears in a skiff. But, you know, he's talking about he's talking to these people in their classified projects, which you're not supposed to share, you know, uh, information about to about projects to people who aren't read into the project. And he's saying, you know, I heard from other people that this is going on. Um, if that's all he's basing off it off of, it's not that strong. Um, and then he's also, we know, interested in that MJ-12 document. So, um, again, mm -hmm. it's kind of something we knew, but we, we know what he's basing this off as well. And it's not that um, solid. Uh, yeah, well, I agree. I mean, an example of that is that um, in that Popular Mechanics article, if you go back to the article I wrote in February, Popular Mechanics, you'll notice that when I'm kind of covering the different things that I, I – uncovered going through this. I briefly mentioned that uh, I was made aware that uh, some individuals from the former Bass crew had briefed Senate staffers in October 2019. This is the same staff briefing that was described in that article about crashed uh, materials and everything. Now, I, when I heard that, I originally heard that from um, not Eric Davis, but somebody else that was there with him. Um, that was from the Bass crew, and that was shared with me. You know, they, it certainly was not presented as a focal point that this briefing or what they discussed with the Senate staffers had anything to do with crash retrievals beyond just this general idea. And, and frankly, uh, no more than you've seen with the, um, you know, the Atom Project and stuff. You know, Dr. Put off in them. They're, they're testing these materials because they believe that they could, you know, have come from some type of exotic means off world. Maybe they did. I mean, at least kudos to them testing it. And, and that way they'll be able to say, here's why we think this, here's the results. Um, but from my understanding, when I was told about it going back to December and January, um, it was just kind of tangentially discussed, you know, we may even have materials that have come from this, but this whole topic was UAP. And that, so that's why I just discussed it is just the broad topic. So you bring up a good point that, it's hard to determine now, you know, like that briefing sound differently, although I know it also mentioned a briefing to, uh, I think it, how they termed it, a Defense Department agency or something. So it could be, could be the DIA, it could be ONI, who knows. Um, 
But I think what's also important there is that, um, you know, Eric Davis told me when I interviewed him for the Popular Mechanics article, uh, you know, he was not a part of a tip. So when I say a tip, I mean the, the, the program that was run by Luis Elizondo uh, or the program that has since carried on. So the task force. So when the Bass OSAP contract ended, um, you know, he parted ways, at least with the government's UFO interest. Uh, in fact, he told me that he didn't start coordinating or, or working with Luis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon until 2017. So they'd left the Department of Defense. So mm. point being, any briefings that he gave, both the Senate staffers and I assume unless he is a part of the new program and that we're unaware of, uh, to a defense agency, that's separate from what's going on now. It's separate from what Lou Elizondo that- and did. It's separate from now. That is such an important point. And, and mm-hmm. essentially what that means is uh, that the, his testimony is based off of things that he has heard and or discovered as a defense contractor, essentially, yes. not necessarily uh, associated with any official government UAP investigation work. That, that's what he told me. So, I mean, unless mm-hmm. that has changed or unless that wasn't inaccurate when he told me that. But, yeah, that's what he told me. He, he didn't uh, coordinate with Lou Elizondo, who was running that program after it closed from 2012. Uh, and I know I think there maybe has been a mention when, when he spoke to Stephen Greenstreet, Stephen Greenstreet, excuse me, of the uh, New York Post that um, he uh maybe as a consultant, something to the new program or not. I, I don't know. I mean, one thing I will say about the current ONI task force, all briefings uh, that I am aware of have, that have gone before principal elected leadership. So that means that people speaking to Marco Rubio, speaking to uh, Mark Warner have been actual active officials with the U.S. government. So not even, even Elizondo told me that. So it's not like Elizondo's even gone before them. It has been before ONI. And I'll tell you what's going on in that task force or what goes on those briefings. I have no clue because it is, is absolutely treated like classified stuff would be, meaning nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have poked around as much as I can. I, you know, I, I had a, a great, uh, I've got a great quote from somebody I know who works in a separate intelligence agency. And they don't work on UFOs, but they said that they said, I don't, I know that they're doing something over there, but on our end, we haven't even seen an assessment come out yet. And he said, so in my experience, that means whatever's going on is highly classified. Hmm. So I, 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 that was like maybe why when I first mentioned, I had a problem with the idea of the UAP task force being interjected with the crash material thing, because frankly, some people might know more, certainly. There's some people like Luis Elizondo, um, because I do know that he still coordinates with them. Uh, why wouldn't he? He was in the program. But um, I don't know that anybody has a true, true idea of what they're doing because it's being treated like a legitimate classified program. For me, that legitimizes the topic. That mm-hmm. legitimizes why we're looking at it. And uh, it's not to speak bad about anybody else, but I think that this idea of all this other stuff and, the, you know, this classified, we're in a skiff, we're in this. That's not how things are treated if it's really classified, if we're really talking about it. And if indeed the United States government 
or anybody uh, has some kind of crash UFO, we wouldn't. The fact that it has been held as closely secret and never been conclusively proven for seventy odd years or whenever it was recovered um, would suggest to me we're talking about something <laughs> beyond the at an unprecedented level of secrecy because mm -hmm. there's not. We don't have example. You know, the, people use the Manhattan Project. Well, look how they kept that secret. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You know, Russia had the plans to that a year before we ever dropped the bombs in Japan. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, the Manhattan Project didn't keep secrecy. So, we don't have the plans to the UFO, unless you believe yeah. Rob's wrong. <laughs> I want to uh, talk more on that because I think that's mm -hmm. an extremely important topic, but I'm I'm not beating up this article yet. And sure. I apologize, you know, and, and just to tell people, mm -hmm. I'll kind of tell you why. I'm beating up this article and it's not because I, I am disgusted by it or something. I'm just to point out some of the problems uh, to fully analyze it before I jump on it. And I will talk about, I think, what are some of the silver linings uh, with the document. But here is another mistake that was made. Uh, Kurt uh, just made the comment. Uh, he said he understands what we said about the correction with Reed, but he says it, it's, it's shocking to him that they would make such a, or he says he's surprised they would make such a mistake uh, by experienced journalists. And I agree, but the mistakes don't stop there. Uh, there was another, a second correction that was made. And in this one, it says an earlier version also misstated the frequency with which the director of national intelligence is supposed to report on unidentified aerial phenomenon. It is 180 days after enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act, not every six months, uh, which is kind of a poor written correction even because it's caught more confusion that uh, from people I've had to kind of correct. So what they're saying is, for whatever reason, uh, they wrote that the DNI was going to be asked to create a report every six months on UAP. That's not the case. What it says is after the bill is enacted, they have 180 days to submit their report. Um, it doesn't mm -hmm. say anything about continued reports. So I don't know why they included that and they corrected themselves <coughs> to correct that piece. Um, the other gripe I had that I had talked about earlier was with the quote from Luis Elizondo. They said, Mr. Luis Elizondo is among a small group of former government officials and scientists with security clearances who, without presenting physical proof, say they are convinced that objects of undetermined origin have crashed on Earth with materials retrieved for study. That is not what Elizondo said. Uh, I think that they're referring, mm -hmm. and they should have put what they're referring to, uh, whether that was an interview or a previous statement. I think what they're referring to is when uh, Lou was on Fox News with Tucker Carlson, and Tucker Carlson asked if he believed the government had materials from a UFO. Mm -hmm. And Lou said yes. He kind of hesitated to say it. Um, then uh, Tucker Carlson re kind of phrased his question and said, so you think there's debris? And Lou said, well, I don't want to really talk about this. I can't talk about things mm -hmm. that are beyond my classification, uh, interestingly enough. But he said, yes, I believe that. Um, so that's materials. Uh, and that makes sense because the the material that he's spoken about to the stars is talking about looking at and throughout ufology that we've looked at are small bits and pieces of material, some of which mm -hmm. uh, were found 
where uh, a UFO was supposedly seen, and that's why it's associated mm -hmm. to the UFO. And in some cases, they were submitted anonymously by people who allegedly uh, were at a crash scene. So uh, that's why that there's a huge difference. With him saying that it's a crashed object, that's mm -hmm. bigger and much different than just material. So that's why people have been asking me, well, why are you making such a big deal about him saying a crash versus material? That's why. For instance, and I think, Tim, you'd agree with this, if... Even if we had, and a lot, some people have written on this. I know um, uh, Dr. Chris Cogswell has written on this. Um, mm -hmm. But if we were able to confirm a piece is anomalous, that's not mm -hmm. enough. Science is going to say, well, okay, we've got an anomalous piece of material. We can't prove where it comes from. We can't prove uh, mm -hmm. what it's related to. But if it's a craft, that's totally different. Then that throws that whole argument out. Then we know where it comes from and what it's related to. Sure. Well, and I think there's a there. I believe there's another error that I don't think anybody's picked up mm. on except for. Uh, I'm pretty sure I noted it. And, and this is where people like um, John Greenwald, God bless him. This is who forced me to like go back through my own articles with a fine tooth comb because I know that you know these are kind of details that he picks up. But this is why that detail oriented can be good uh, is I believe they said that uh, Dr. Davis started, I think they erroneously said when OSAP started, I think they said it started in 2007, but it was actually in fiscal 2009. So it was in 2008, mm. I believe. And so it, it, it's such a silly little thing there. And that's probably why nobody's really harped on it. But again, that's why I said, I think that's what, uh, you know, there are some fantastic researchers here, you know, Paul Dean's one, John, uh, Greenwald, obviously, it's one. There's some great people out there that, that are, pay attention to those details. And when you become that detail oriented, I think it puts together a, a more comprehensive piece, just like you said, mm -hmm. because there is a huge leap from we have we have strange materials. Uh, you know, that could be part of a meteor that's come from a strange astrolog, you know, right. astronomical body. It doesn't mean it's a craft. Um, and I'll tell you, since you brought up Lou and his comments on Tucker, because I've talked to, uh, I've definitely, that's something I've brought up with him before. I've been like, man, you're really cagey when it comes to the whole UFO crash flying saucer thing. You know, you, you kind of default the NDA, what's going on there? Um, and he's not told me anything different. However, I'll just put this out there because I think it's good for people to consider not to interpret or read too much into that. Because when you hear you know, somebody like Luis Elizondo or somebody else who's who's held this class, held a top secret clearance. And they say, I can't violate my, my clearance. I don't want to discuss that. Does that mean that he's, you know, wink, wink. That means I can't discuss it because we have UFOs. Or does it mean that he's saying, I know that there's more to that whole story of crashed UFOs. And, uh, you know, it maybe isn't what people think it is. It's been used for other reasons, disinformation, whatever classified reasons, those classified reasons can be very broad. You know, we used it against the Russians during the Soviet Union. You know, there's a lot of reasons that he could say, I can't talk about it other than saying, I can't talk about it because yeah, we have it and it's crashed. Maybe right. he can't, yeah. <laughs> but we have a bad habit of filling in that void of information mm -hmm. with what either we want to hear and both good or bad. So skeptics do the same thing. So, well, yeah uber skeptics they say critics there we go because i think there's nothing wrong with being skeptical we all should be skeptical right
So Adam Kehoe just joined. Uh, thanks, Adam. And, and just in time, I was about to mention mm -hmm. him. He's got a PhD in information science, mm -hmm. uh, and he's interested and follows defense policy issues. And he's been writing some articles on Medium that are extremely mm -hmm. helpful. Very, very interesting. I highly recommend them. But uh, he's also pointed out one other mistake about the Aerospace Corporation, uh, which is being called a defense uh, contractor who Eric Davis currently works for. Uh, but they're more than that. They are actually more of like a, a government uh, think tank. I mean, um, since Adam's in here, maybe he can make some comments or maybe you can comment to clarify that a little further. But it's kind of another uh, mistake that was made in the uh, um, framing of, of what aerospace uh, corporation is. Sure. Well, yeah. <clears throat> and I think you know, it would depend on how aerospace corporation <laughs> interpreted that when they saw the article, because they, you know, they may have, like you said, they are a, a aerospace, aer, uh, aerospace engineering think tank. They do a lot of different things. So they put people in different sectors. They have contracts with NASA, SpaceX. Uh, so they're no, they're not inherently a defense contractor. So they may have had, uh, they may have some clients that were like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, that not everybody's okay with the, uh, building bombs and, and warplanes. But, uh, yeah, and I think, and I see the Adam's comment as well, that that was one of the, they, they changed that, that correction was not highlighted like Reed's correction or the uh, mm. dates of the reports. But initially the article identified uh, Dr. Davis as briefing uh, the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee. So principal, uh, elected officials, and then they change that to staff, and and that is a big distinction because um, you know staff can be briefed by a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you can get a, a meeting with staff members, and, and obviously that information can be carried to the, those principal elected officials, and they do help form policy. But it's a big difference between getting an audience in front of uh, you know, especially you know, the, the Armed Services Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee. These these are big time committees. I mean, just look at the, the national budget of the United States and how much is spent on defense. You realize these are power committees. And so these are typically powerful politicians uh, and influential politicians. So there is a big difference between speaking to their staff and getting in front of them. Uh, which again, that's kind of why I've made the distinction that uh, I don't think anybody would deny that, that uh, mm -hmm. no one except for officials with the United States government have briefed principal elected officials in closed door meetings. Um, mm -hmm. What has gone on in those meetings? Who knows? But uh, I think there's at least enough. And that's what I think probably Adam, I'm glad you brought him. He, he he's great to have examining the topic and he is writing fantastic articles because, you know, I think Adam represents that segment of the, the population that the quote UFO community really needs to reach. Cause here's a guy who's curious, rebelliously curious, willing to look at it, but he's looking at it from the tangible aspects and asking the questions that I think the, the average public and the stakeholders that would push this into the public arena from the government side would be asking. And so mm -hmm. uh, those are the people we need to answer. And I guess the questions he asks are completely legitimate. Um, yeah. He framed uh, the reason why we're questioning this article so much in, in a good way. Uh, and I want to mm -hmm. get to that in just a second. But before we leave mm -hmm. the article so much to talk about some of this other related stuff that uh, mm -hmm. I want to get to is that uh, the the interesting part, the good part, and why I think it's so significant that Elizondo 
confirmed to me that he's cool with that statement in the New York Times is really, I think that's the most significant thing that mm -hmm. Lou Elizondo, who ran the Pentagon Project, who has had, um, he's essentially batting a thousand on accuracy as far as the things he's said he knows have been the truth. The difference with this article is he's not saying he knows, but he's convinced of this. He's essentially mm -hmm. telling us that he does, he is convinced there are UFO crashes. I think some can assume that he's basing that off of what Davis is has shared with the group. I, uh, I don't believe that to be the case. I hope that's not the case. We don't know why. Um, that's why mm -hmm. one of the other problems with this article, it doesn't clarify that. Uh, but that's, I think, kind of a big deal. It is. And, and I don't want to diminish that as well. So you're right. We, we've kind of, um, we've spent some time, but, you know, pointing out some issues or concerns with the article. But I don't want to think that we're, it's certainly not from my end, that I'm totally bashing, A, the idea of examining the potential that, that there has been something exotic that's crashed and have been recovered. Um, you know, my, my entire complaints and concerns have actually come from the idea that if true, that is a significant deal. It's treated that way. I will say that in the lead up to this article, I was surprised at the fact that I picked up interesting chatter, uh, you know, along the official channels that people were more interested People were more interested and knew about this article and they were more interested in like the idea that what exactly do they have, uh, especially when there was some hinting that, um, you know, they, they there may be some inclusions about official briefings that have been given to politicians about crash material. I was surprised because the chatter to me was kind of like uh, there was a real uh, counterintelligence concern. Like, did they have a leak? And, and like these briefings maybe did occur. I don't know, but I just, I, so this just interpretation of that kind of chatter. Um, and you know, that's <laughs> when you're analyzing things, that's what you look at a lot, like the tone in people mm -hmm. and the questions they ask. And then that's what we mean by chatter. Just so no directly, nobody called and said, what do you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I thought it was interesting that it seemed to me that people were a little more interested in that than I would have expected. If it mm -hmm. was absolutely nothing to it whatsoever, I would have expected People would be like, yeah, whatever. We don't care. We know it's going to be a dumpster fire, so it doesn't matter. But the people right. seem to be interested. And so I don't think it's something – I mean, it's just like Roswell and the rest of these things. The reason they're still here is, I, I, you know, I, I have no problem saying on my end, I don't know that I've ever seen this conclusive uh, proof that gives one, you know, one definitive answer one way or another. You know, as soon as you get this, uh, you know, people, you know, they bring up the project mogul and they say, well, this is this and this. Then you get these other little threads that are just weird. And so I don't know if anything's ever been tied up with that. Um, so I think the idea that there's definitely the idea of crashed UFOs is intertwined with this subject. The reasons for that, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but there's a reason. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, there's so many. I think, you know, it's part of what I feel uh, has been an evolution that has frustrated me certainly in the past is that, you know, mm -hmm. this field used to be all about, especially when the government was denying having any interest, it mm -hmm. was all about anecdotal information. And mm -hmm. so anecdotal information became uh, weighted more heavily than it should have. 
Um, mm -hmm. Now we're in a world since December 2017 and the, the first New York Times article by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and Helene Cooper mm -hmm. that revealed this Pentagon program. Now we're not in that world anymore. We have more than just uh, <coughs> anecdotal information. We have some anecdotal information from experts, from firsthand mm -hmm. witnesses, um, from credible witnesses expert witnesses and that's where uh the things have changed and still i think that the uh uh it's still weighted too heavily in in the ufo realm uh anecdotal information so that's the danger but you know i want to move on to the uh senate select intelligence committee um and uh adam kehoe wrote uh this morning and i think this is a great you know, summation of why we're so critical of this New York Times article and what it's saying and the nuances, which is that this, uh, what's going on with the Senate and UAPs mm -hmm. is really important. And we're afraid that this article and some of uh, the fallout could jeopardize that. And uh, mm -hmm. that is exactly how I feel. And we just heard this morning, and this is from Dean Johnson, who's been following this and has mm -hmm. uh, worked with uh, this sort of thing. So he knows better than a lot of us mm -hmm. that the bill uh, was packaged with another defense bill and it's passed mm -hmm. the Senate. Um, so now it's mm -hmm. moving on to the next steps there. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. This has always been my concern when I heard about this story, especially when it was supposed to contain um, yeah, I, I think there has been, it, it distracts from what we have seen that is very much uh, tangible. It's very much legitimate. It, you know, it's very real. Uh, and, and there continues to be no walk back or anything to change that. Um, you know, and indeed, I haven't had a chance to call the uh, media relations at the um, the Senate and everything just to confirm that. I, I did talk to Dean Johnson and uh because you know, some have pointed out that they didn't see, and in fact, I was one who looked that the actual Intelligence Act currently is not in the Defense Authorizations Act, but uh, by all indications, uh, it appears that it is going to be coupled, and this gets into the whole, uh, you know, if you ever remember Schoolhouse Rock, I'm a bill you know, on Capitol Hill or whatever. Um, I didn't pay attention enough to those. So I'm definitely not a legislative expert, but it does appear that they're going to be coupled. And so the, the passing of the Defense Authorization Act is, is a positive sign that it's progressing. Um, by all accounts, I don't think, especially with this being election year, uh, uh, we won't see a final passing of this. And so we won't see the final form of whatever this UAP provision is until uh, probably December would be my best estimate, maybe November, but I would say it's not going to be signed into law until uh, it's not going to be passed, fully passed and signed until December. But these are very tangible. And, and I think, you know, you for me, probably more significant than this recent New York Times article was the interview with Marco Rubio uh, that was down there, CBS Miami. For me, that was significant because, again, I, I thought Rubio did a, a very good job explaining why you know, this provision was here. He, he didn't make it seem silly. He didn't, you know, he was very articulate in explaining why this was important, why we should care. And I agree with everything that he said. And um, for me, that's significant because it, it puts it in a real world. And the idea that you have politicians who say that um, Marco Rubio is a good example, because recently, if anybody's seen it, some of his words back when he was uh, running for as a Republican candidate for president, some of his words against the current president Trump um, 
have come back to be used against them in political ads. You know, see, Marco Rubio agrees. So politicians are very aware that what they say, you know, what this news interview can be used against him. Uh, it's it's kind of like a police interrogation. It can be used against him in the court of law. And so the fact that he was still willing to do that interview, cover that topic, I thought was impressive because I know uh, Brian Bender reached out. I, I spoke to uh, Senator Rubio's chief of staff and people. And, and at that, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, they weren't talking about it. But uh, I thought he did a great job with it. I think that in and of itself um, is huge. You know, I know that it's a step back behind where some of the UFO crowd wants, you know, where I'm at the point where like, wow, they're willing to fish for me. That's confirmation, disclosure, things people want. Yeah. Um, they want to jump to the crash uh, yeah. covered stuff, but I'm, that is yeah. impressive. <laughs> I'm not as concerned with what the com UFO community wants, because for the most part, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think that they're uh, have, uh, subscribe to a lot of the mythology that's been built out there. And this is, there is a huge mythology that many are invested in as opposed to looking at some of the real world type of things going on, uh, which is unfortunate because I think that causes people to uh, doubt and um, not appreciate some of the civil servants and some of the, uh, 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 not just law enforcement or intelligence, but also our military personnel. Uh, Sean mm -hmm. Cahill, one of the Nimitz witnesses, wrote a piece on this recently that, hey, mm -hmm. you guys are bashing military guys who are coming out saying they're lying and keeping secrets. You know, a, a lot of these people, you know, the importance of what they've done in the past and speaking up for his, his fellow service people, which I thought was great. But um, here's how that might, the, with, with my interview with Chris Mellon, Mm -hmm. He really laid out kind of this plan that they had to get this to happen, to get this information out to the public and get the Senate to ask these questions. And part of that plan included uh, unidentified. In fact, I wrote a piece in Den of Geek about how unidentified helped this all happen. And mm -hmm. part of that plan was to get information out to the public to demonstrate, for instance, season two is covering a lot of great uh, military cases. He said it's going to carry uh, cover a NORAD case that got all the way to the four-star general level. Why is that important? Well, as mm -hmm. the Senate is asking for UAP reports from all of these intelligence agencies, what Unidentified is doing is demonstrating, hey, you know, they can't come back and just say we don't have nothing because we know you have something. We have on the record, these witnesses, these people telling us there are these cases, there are these incidents that happen that should show up in these reports. What's interesting mm -hmm. about this New York Times article is that now it's also pushing that, uh, it's joining that discussion to kind of further say, not only are there UFO cases, these reports should probably include what we believe to be crash retrieval cases. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, and that's, yeah, that's an interesting aspect. And I think that's interesting in both the concern though. And, and I think you, you probably agree with me because, uh, you know, if certain agencies, obviously, I, I would say if anybody had any kind of crash material, it's not widespread. It's not like they shared it across all the different branches of government or it almost assuredly would have leaked out by now. And so there, that means that there's certain branches that don't know anything about it. If, 
It's true. And so, well, yeah, and one I, of the Senate's concern was they didn't know about the UAP research at all. That's why they're asking these questions. Why didn't you tell us? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then that's, uh, you know, it will be very interesting because, yeah, the, the language is very clear that uh, not only were they not told about certain things, but there's some concern about how much interagency and joint sharing is going on. Um, which is a valid concern, especially, you know, everyone I think has noted it repeatedly has said that the, the deafening silence of the Air Force is <laughs> what right. Um, in my opinion, in, in talking to, to, to people, is that that's not because uh, there's, you know, some secret cover up on their end. I think it's just a cultural thing as to um, they don't want to they're they're a little gun shy from the blue book years because I think it became problematic I think for them um, because if nothing else um, I would say that's probably the biggest uh, idea where a lot of these mythologies come into it or these secret government cover-ups because uh, much respect to Sean Cahill and article he wrote I agree with him 100 percent because the Again, like I said, the underlying theme in this is this divisive thing that there's, you know, our service members or people are working against us. Um, and, uh, you know, this theme that they, uh, you know, the government's hiding all of that from you. And I don't think that's the case with the, with the Air Force. I think what we're talking about is a very complex problem that it's easier to be like, forget this. Um, you know, I'm washing my hands of this. You know, it's hard to solve. This is not what I'm equipped to do. I'm equipped to fight the enemy. You know, people I know and militaries and everything. Uh, you know, I discussed this with Adam Kehoe not long ago. Again, that I think uh, for fighting the battle on the government front to make them take it seriously and maybe give more info or be more of a sharing partner, I think it probably is a better idea to do some civics classes or read some books on bureaucracy and kind of the inner workings of it first before the UFO books, because there's so many little aspects of this that, that can relate to why you would have a quote cover up without it being as overt and kind of sinister as it appears, you know? Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> John Alexander, who used to be an inspector general in the army is someone who uh, we're very mm -hmm. lucky to have as a resource um, to mm -hmm. be that knowledgeable on these issues speaks to that. And I was speaking to Brian Bender last night, and he had a similar perspective as to what you're saying um, in that uh, there could be many reasons why they would uh, want to not speak on certain issues beyond, you know, that they're real or that uh, um, um, just, you know, kind of getting what you're into. There's a, there's, it's complicated. Um, and also kind of what you're speaking to, the different approaches to the different services. Uh, he kind of feels that the Navy didn't necessarily go uh, head first willingly into being as supportive as they have on, on this topic, but it's just a different PR stance where they have kind of gotten in front of the issue so they can uh, at least uh, seem to be, you know, cooperative and backing their guys and, and transparent, whereas the Air Force is doing the opposite and just keeping completely silent on they're pulling an Eric Davis. They're completely <laughs> silent on the issue. So um, just different kind of PR strategies. Um, well, imagine for a second, because you, you, you got to realize the people who are in the position, sitting in the chairs to make those decisions. So imagine for a moment, Alejandro, you, you are a four-star general in whatever branch. You know, you have arrived here. You have been in this service for 30, 40 years. You're, you know, looking at, uh, you've just been, 
put in this position and maybe you're going to be here for four years tops before you're retired. And then unless you get called back in for, you know, as a secretary of defense or something, some kind of executive appointment, you're done and you've done your time. And then somebody comes to you and they say, man, th this is the situation. Yeah, no, these things are real. Here's how we know they're real. We don't know what they are. You know, maybe we, we've got this and we got that. We don't we can't figure that out and everything. Um, they're not attacking us. You know, what do you want to do, sir? The idea that you're going. I'm going to do the same thing the guy did right before who was sitting here right before me. That is forget this. <laughs> you know, this is a just that's a, uh, that's a headache. Yeah. And, and I'm you know, I'm a, I'm at the pinnacle of my career. I don't want to be known as either the guy that screws this up or comes out and says, yes, they're real. We can't do anything about them. They're shutting down our nuclear facilities. They're flying over it. We don't know what the hell they are. I don't want to be mm -hmm. that guy. I'll let the next guy deal with it. And that's very real that those decisions of a quote cover up can be selfishly motivated, not necessarily organizationally. Right. And for it may seem counterintuitive uh, for the layman, but for those mm -hmm. of us who have interviewed the military on this topic for decades, that's the message mm -hmm. we're getting, which is what John Alexander has been telling us pretty much the entire time. Now, Adam Kehoe made a comment here about one of the reasons, you know, we're so worried about the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee requests getting uh, messed up, essentially. He mm -hmm. says, one thing to watch, there's long precedence to pass the defense authorization. If anything threatens its passage, it's likely to be cut to maintain that precedent. So if the intel portion becomes problematic, it could be dumped out of legislative pragmatism. In other words, uh, the defense authorization, I think it's been 60 years in a row that it's been passed. And so they're not going to let that be jeopardized at all. However, D. Gene Johnson says that because it's passed, the Senate has passed it with this um, request, uh, piggybacked on it, that the request, mm -hmm. uh, the weight of the question is already there, that essentially the mm -hmm. question's been asked. We want to know more about UAPs. So he's saying that uh, the, the weight of that request is, is still pretty strong, even if the bill doesn't pass. No, I agree. I, I, it, I would say I'm pretty, pretty confident that it's going to pass. I, I would not foresee. Uh, first of all, there's no money tied to it right now. So it's not like they're asking for X million dollars to fund a program. They're just asking for a report. They're asking for, uh, you know, a, a comprehensive idea to me. This is more of the groundwork and framework that leads to financial budgets, that leads to funding. So you get a report that says, this is what we know. We don't have this cooperation. We do have this. And so they go, oh, well, then we, you know, what do you need to do better? We need X million dollars. We want to form this. So that to me, this is a kind of uh, framework for that step. Since there's no money involved in it, um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't see much pushback on it. it it's not a partisan issue. So it's not one that I think is a bargaining chip that you're going to use uh, out here. You're not going to see it get squabbled up between a Republican Democrat fight uh, because I, I think both sides do realize um, the topic in and of itself is widely popular with the general public. I mean, that's the thing is that we see, you know, whenever the, uh, you know, when the FBI drops their Roswell files, or the CIA does their UFO files, you know, or when they release the three videos uh, with Naval Air Command, on their uh, FOIA reading room, they crash the reading room because so many people go to see it. So uh, the topic itself is interesting enough. It has enough constituency report. I don't, wouldn't see anybody fighting, fighting it. 
to, to make it a bargaining chip to be taken out. But Adam's right. You know, it could be if you had somebody for whatever reason um, to, you know, want to fight it. I, I, it on the opposite end of that spectrum. It's is it something that they're going to fight to keep in? And I wouldn't say no. I think there's mm -hmm. other issues they would want more than that. Um, so it's interesting. I think that this first little piece um, will be interesting. I, I maybe I'm more pessimistic than most. I don't anticipate a groundbreaking unclassified report if it mm -hmm. passes and it's released. I, that's I don't anticipate that. Um, not that it won't be interesting. Um, although at the same time, a report that said you know we have had. X number of encounters or X period of years that are UAP, that would be groundbreaking. I think, let me walk it back where I say groundbreaking being, here's the unclassified report. Here's why we say they're UAP. Here's the data. Here's the everything. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, I just, it, I, I don't. That's makes me chuckle because I think of a, a Doctor Who scenario where they release all these reports of situations where you know, they had to fight off aliens. Well, they came and they attacked, but we were able to fight them off and they're gone now. But then they did come back and then this other group came back. <laughs> but yeah. um, more realistic, uh, you know, there are some interesting cases out there, such as Gordon Cooper, the astronaut, mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. at Edwards Air Force Base when he was working on, uh, you know, uh, testing projects and some object came and landed in there in the the dry lake bed they were doing tests in and they filmed it. I mean, mm -hmm. what if that film came out? That would be astonishing. Um, you know, other film, better film with it when it comes to Nimitz uh, or, you know, according to Elizondo, there's a lot more films out there. So there could be something pretty interesting, but we'll see, I guess, huh? Well, yeah, I'll give you this, uh, this little tease. I hadn't had a chance. Not that it's even newsworthy, so I wouldn't put it out on anything but Twitter. But you'll get a, an exclusive here is that I just got a FOIA response back from, um, I think it was ONI. I think it was Naval Air Weapon Systems Command. But, but I asked for, um, you know, any releasable responsive videos. I get it. If they're classified, you can't. Um, but I asked for it that were housed on uh, unclassified or classified servers because you can house unclassified information on classified servers. Um, mm. So I asked for both and uh, that depicted what the Department of Defense has officially in public statements described as UAP. Uh, so any and all, uh, whether it be still photographs or motion picture visuals. And, and the, the, the response they came back to me was, is that my request was too broad. Hmm. There was too much. And I'm like, what? what I'm like, and that's what, unfortunately, this is one of the ones they didn't give me a FOIA officer directly. This is where it's the automated type. Sometimes they give you one. So I'm appealing it, but I'm thinking, I, I didn't, I don't know how, I have to get with John. You know, he's the FOIA guy. Say, hey, how do you narrow down? I mean, I was very specific, gave examples yeah. of where they officially called UAP. I'm, I'm thinking, well, where have you got those first three videos? Yeah. Look there. Maybe they're like, like well, you, you, it's you too big of a file. <laughs> Which model are you asking for, or which civilization do you years? want? Do you want craft from Zeta Reticuli? Do you want them from Pleiadians? You know, you got to give it more specific info here. That's what if I. That's weird. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the the only thing that's better is if yeah, they gave me a response that said yeah, sure, we've got 
X number and we've processed the cost for processing this all be a million dollars because we've got so many videos or whatever. So suddenly yeah. you're crowdfunding, you know, yeah. you're begging everybody for, for some money. But yeah, I'll appeal it. But I just thought it was interesting because they said they didn't yeah. say there was no responsive. They said it was too broad. <laughs> um, I want to move on to another topic, which is the idea, uh, kind of clarification around special access programs, unacknowledged mm -hmm. Uh, special access programs. Um, you and I got in an interesting Twitter conversation with uh, Tyler Rogaway. I think Adam was in there. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe mm -hmm. even Brian Bender. I can't remember all who was in there, but people knowledgeable about this stuff. But most importantly, Chris Mellon. And essentially, mm -hmm. Chris uh, was saying that, uh, you know, the, the Congress has oversight of all programs. Un, uh, USAPs, as they're, they're called, unacknowledged SAPs, special access programs. These are the black projects, but they have oversight mm -hmm. on all. Some of them may be limited. I think he even said it's mm -hmm. possible they could be limited to just the president and other need to know, mm -hmm. but um, that they're, they all come under, you know, that umbrella. Um, mm -hmm. But interesting enough, you know, the conspiracy guy in the room was uh, Tyler Rogaway from uh, a defense writer for the war zone. Great writer. I love his stuff. And he was suggesting perhaps there is a way to house a project outside of, of that kind of oversight. Uh, what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and yeah, no, I love Tyler. And in fact, you know, I've written for the war zone uh, and worked, working on something now about crash retrievals. No, I'm just kidding. I am working on something now for the war zone. So yeah, still right for the war zone occasionally love, love Tyler. But yeah, we, we definitely disagree on this point. And, and I think, all right, just to, to break it down a little bit, you're right. The, the term special access program, you have varying types. You have the just general special access program, SAP. Uh, these are acknowledged. And so when they said it's acknowledged, if you look at the defense budget right now, you'll see them, not what they are, but you'll see the the code name so the unclassified code name some of them are like retrack larch retrack elm chalk eagle you know huggy bear that these are acknowledged mm. okay so we don't know what they are but we know generally what they're working on because they fall under a certain specific uh line item so aerospace r d whatever uh, then you have unacknowledged saps so this is your usap that just means that that gets lumped up in another budget item that says classified programs X million, trillion, whatever. Um, so they don't describe what that is. So that's where that unacknowledged uh, sap comes from. Uh, then you have, and, and I believe what probably, I didn't see Christopher Mellon's comments, but what is called a waived unacknowledged special exit program. And this all relates to who's in charge, who's the oversight. You have a SAP oversight committee, a SAP co that, that governs all of these things. And I'm not going to get into the weeds with all of this bureaucracy, but a waived USAP narrows the scope of who knows about it and who, how much oversight is involved in it. And like you, like you indicated, Christopher Mellon might have said that uh, you can narrow the scope to a waived USAP to just about as tight as the president, uh, the secretary of defense, and the uh, assistant secretary of defense. Um, and most importantly, the, what's called the Gang of Eight. And so this is the minority and majority leaders of the Senate Intelligence and Armed Services Committee uh, and the speakers of the House. Um, you can narrow it to these eight 
congressional leadership. But but as Christopher Mellon said, that's who forms the oversight. There's still elected leadership that is briefed and aware of these waived USAPs. It just is narrowing down that compartmentalization. Um, for Tyler's point and, and anybody that saw our discussion is he's what he's, you know, theorizing is that uh, potentially if you're talking about a extraordinary breakthrough uh, technology that its known existence could, uh, you know, in life as we know it, uh, it would be a, a total uh polar shift in, in the shift of power, this type of thing. So so it's not just that uh, we have it, but if, if China or Russia got it, that this would just change the world as we know it, that there could be some exception in which things would be withheld and controlled in a completely separate um, process that we're totally unaware of. And uh, you know, me and Tyler talked after just the, the Twitter comments because people probably think me and him are getting into it. We have some great lively debates, but we chat afterwards. We're good buddies. Um, you know, I think that his idea there is that potentially and he was very, you know, when we spoke off the air, should you say behind the scenes, he's always saying, man, I'm just throwing out theoretical ideas, trying to think of everything. Um, and the idea of this super secret compartmentalized basically a breakaway government group uh is that any crazier than it being aliens and i'm like well no i'm not saying <laughs> it's either one there's no evidence for either one but yeah what uh for anybody that saw that argument or i should say debate um you know T tyler thinks and he's not alone in that is that uh, really what we're talking about would be a breakaway government fraction or something that, that so it would not be anything within normal chain and frankly um you know it for me it, it gets into a realm of uh conspiracy a little a little further into the realm of conspiracy than i'm typically comfortable with or um i think that uh i just think it would be hard to hide that uh anything's on the table until it's not but i think the idea that you could have a fraction of government that could hide something like this from another fraction of government and be responsible, even if they were responsible for the good 5% of all UFO sightings, that's a pretty big number. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I also don't know why you would, uh, why you would have a breakaway uh, government fraction as this and then decide uh Hey, you know what? Let's go fly it over some civilian centers, or let's go fly it over into the the Nimitz training group and mess with them a while. I don't, I don't know what purpose that serves. That would be good. Yeah, uh, and and you know, in his defense, a bit, um, I'm trying to look up the the chain. Here it is, because um, mm -hmm. I think what inspired this was, yeah, Chris. Is, here's what Christopher Mellon that said inspired this conversation. He said. Uh, somebody asked him, Chris, do you think there may be any connection between the Navy patents filed by Salvatore Cesar Pais and the technology that Lazar witnessed? Likewise, could that same tech be uh, the same of what our pilots are seeing? I appreciate what you do. Um, Salvatore uh, Cesar Pais submitted some patents of some technologies that are essentially anti-gravity. Uh, they created kind of a wave of uh, conversation, uh, some scientists saying that they're theoretical and not really plausible, 
but uh, something that doesn't seem to have been built and uh, Pais worked for the Navy when he uh, created these. Um, so some people have speculated, hey, they look very similar to what the Tic Tac was. So did we build that? Mm -hmm. Is that what he's talking about? Well, Chris says, I've looked into this and found disputes with, uh, regarding whether the physics involved in Pais's patents is even viable. There's no mm -hmm. indication or testing or <coughs> prototypes. What our pilots are seeing is not secret U.S. stuff. First thing Navy and DOD did was uh, check to make sure they weren't ours. So um, somebody then asked on a different tweet, was that... Uh, are we to assume the SAP review was comprehensive? Uh, you know, meaning did they look at everything? Uh, Mellon says, yes, the point is to uh, ensure there is no duplication of SAPs and that all SAP programs are lawful, accountable to the SECDEF and Congress. So the first thing the Navy did was check with this group to see if these might be um, U.S. Air Force or Dar DARPA, et cetera, they clearly were not. So he's certainly convinced that they have uh, oversight or can see into all of the black budget programs to verify that these mm -hmm. are, are not black budget. Um, and, you know, he was called, uh, maybe it was in unidentified, kind of the king of intelligence when he was working um, mm -hmm. for uh one of his past positions where he was had oversight of all of these. So he would be someone to know. So Tyler Rogueway is suggesting, um, and nobody answered this question and it was kind of a hot question because I was asking, so essentially you're saying uh, this would be a sort of program that's designed uh, to be hidden from the Chris Mellons of the world um, mm -hmm. and uh, or denied uh, if uh, mm -hmm. ever come up. Um, and to his defense, it's, you know, it's kind of, if you've got aliens versus super secret program, both of them are a hard pill to swallow. I think I, I had mentioned with you, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, aliens is a little bit less likely, maybe a lot less likely than, you know, the possibilities that Tyler Rokeaway are putting forth. It seems ridiculous and, and crazy to think that somebody out there has technology like this that's so advanced mm -hmm. and has had it for a period, a long period of time. But at the same mm -hmm. time, it's kind of crazy to think aliens are visiting here, kind of flying around, crashing when they're cruising around, checking us out. And we, you know, can't get pictures and videos of them or rarely. So um, <laughs> either of them is kind of not plausible, but something's going on. It, I agree. No, no. I mean, that's why I, I think it frustrates people. I know me and me and Mick West, when I did his show, um, we, we had a, you know, jovially saying, you know, when it, he says, you know, give me your list of your top three explanations. I'm like, I don't have one. So like, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very firm in saying, I don't know, because I can give you 10 reasons that aliens is not crazy or 10 reasons aliens is crazy. I can give you 10 reasons why the secret breakaway sap is crazy intended it's not and so the, there's not enough evidence to say any of the plausible explanations i have ever heard fit and um you know that's one of the things with the black secret technology i think that's understandable for people to go down that route first i mean we should uh, we know that exists you're right that that's less crazy than aliens and for me one of the hardest things with that idea that it's a secret black budget um, technology is if we are to take for uh, you know, take for face value, if we're to believe what, what witnesses have said, and, and let's just narrow it down to the, the Tic Tac. So let's narrow it down to 2004. We have nothing that 
you know, there's no evidence that we should dispute what Commander Fravor and four other or three other pilots saw with their own eyeballs. So we're not talking about the Atfleer. Um, what they saw, you know, the tic tac, this this pill shaped sort of thing. <laughs> this isn't a classified project. This isn't like a stealth bomber. Uh, this is something that is achieving and maintaining flight and lift beyond how we know is possible. It, there's no wings, which means it's got no control surface. It's got no angle of attack. So if you looked at aerospace engineering from the Wright brothers to right now, or the F-35s or the, uh, the new B-21 Raiders, so the tops, it's all the same principle of lift, propulsion, drag, wings, you know, angle of attack to maintain flight. So when we're talking about something else, I mean, like there's just no hints at anything around of where we would be able to achieve that. Certainly not to the degree of the, of the maneuverability, people say. And so that's where I'm always like, again, everything's on the table till it's not. But I'm thinking, man, that means somebody has achieved some really remarkable stuff that we don't even have hints to, you know, and that uh, the Salvatore Pais piece, I think that really the authority on that would be Brett Tingley, who, who really covered that in depth for uh, yeah. the But I've told him, you know, my concern with, with that thing, besides what Chris Mellon said he looked into from jump from point one, my concern was is that the media outlet that first brought those patents to everybody's attention well at least brought it to the other writers you know like like brett or others the first people who covered it first was sputnik the russian foreign media outlet so this is the russian media outlet intended for foreign audiences uh they're a registered foreign agent in the united states so i mean it's a state-run media I just have a hard time believing that russia a you know if they believed that it was something the u.s really had would be like, hey, let's throw it out on the Sputnik News and see. Or B, if we really had it, you wouldn't want Russia to have it. <laughs> so the fact that Russia reported yeah. it first made it made me think that maybe there's more going on to there. Maybe it's some good old fashioned old spy games between countries. Um, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is that I, I'm with you. Aliens. Yeah, you know, uh, Adam asked a question pertaining to this. He says, uh, has Mellon possibly precipitated an impossible policy dilemma? What do we do if we stop ignoring this? And uh, that's a great question. Um, and I, I, I wonder, so for instance, uh, if we all, if this starts being a thing where we've got news stories about the latest findings of the UAP task force or the latest cases, um, how are people gonna react? Uh, there's this anime I love, and and I feel like this might be accurate. And uh, essentially, you know, there's this breaking news, and this kid is all excited about it, uh, that aliens are here. And everybody's like, eh, you know, they don't care. They're like, big deal. Um, that could be possible. And maybe, uh, I, I often think that if we didn't stop at Blue Book, if the Air Force didn't kind of push it all under the rug and was more transparent and just saying, yeah, there's these things flying around, we don't know what they are. Um, if that would be kind of like bugs or bees, you know, something that we wouldn't really think much of. It's just a fact of nature that there's something out here we can't explain and we're looking into it. But another question I thought of, which was is kind of scary, 
is what about the situation we come out and we say we don't know what these things are and then russia says they're ours and we have tech that is way better than yours and mm -hmm. uh the even if our government says that's not true they're lying you know how it is today's world um mm -hmm. you know they may be believed and that could create some really scary situations when you really examine <clears throat> examine this topic and examine it from, from a very sophisticated kind of a tangible aspect so you're looking at the, how the government works and all these different things it becomes extremely nuanced and complex because what adam mentioned is true uh, he wrote, wrote a great article, you know, like, what's the end game here? And so he's right. So we're no longer ignoring it. The government comes out and says, hey, man, this is real. Here's why we know it's real. Here's some videos. Here's some pictures. And and you're right. I, I think everybody mitigates the anxiety that may be involved with this idea that something else is coming here uh, or something else exists in our world and we're not the kings of it by always saying, well, somebody knows what it is. Somebody's got the crash UFO. Somebody's made the secret treaty at the air base with the president. But if they come out and say, no, no, seriously, guys, we don't have a clue. But yes, we agree with you. It's real. And, you know, how does that upset things in terms of just sociologically, culturally? Uh, I think Adam brought up a very valid point. How does that change? You know, this goes into the decision makers minds. So I, you know, I'm asking for one point three trillion dollars worth of F-35s. And now I'm a congressman sitting on here going, why am I going to give you a trillion dollars? Those F-35s aren't nothing compared to those Tic Tac thing. You know, like right. what do we do to get to that? And you're having to explain, well, we don't know, but we need the 35s because of China and Russia. And the things <laughs> right. you know. And so you create this just crazy yeah. conflict. World. But at the same time, do you just take the stance, hey, they're not zapping us. They're not messing with us. So, uh, you know, just ignore it. I, I, to me, I think that that idea has proceeded and been taken on a lot of times. Just that mm -hmm. same scenario that I, the guy wearing four stars says, you know what? I'll let the guy behind me deal with that crap because right. I, I don't you know, this is not something that I'm trying to equip with. Um and most importantly, one idea that I think has involved the, the overwhelming bulk of secrecy related to this topic is that one thing that you do not discuss it is as classified as your own top secret technology. That is your vulnerabilities. And so these things demonstrate vulnerabilities. If they can pop in and out of our airspace, if they can shut down our nuclear missiles, if they can fly over our nuclear sites with impunity, that is a vulnerability we cannot defend. We can't stop it. And the idea of vulnerabilities to your defense is something that is classified, but they don't talk about it. It's as much classified as uh, your own classified technologies that people mm -hmm. think of. Now, uh, we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to stack these two questions. Uh, Steve sure. McDonald's question, I think, was more rhetorical anyway, um, but they're both science-related. He says, there is an aspect from the Tic Tac that isn't often talked about. If it is man-made, where is the body of research that supports that technology? Which is a great question because we don't have that. Some people refer to the Pais documents, but those are highly theoretical, mm -hmm. certainly not near application in any way 
Um, so mm -hmm. that's a great question. Then Adam says, I've, he's got a weird question. It's not that weird. I actually asked a scientist this last night, something similar. He said, "Are are the, is the task force talk to any other scientists, such as SETI or METI uh, scientists, uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or METI is messaging extraterrestrial intelligence programs that scientists have uh, put together. Um, also, uh, or have they just talked to civilian or any civilian scientists outside of the put-off school, meaning, you know, the people inside of FAST? And I think there's are important questions because last night with the Scientific Coalition of UAP Research, we had a great presentation from physicist Kevin Knuth, and he was able to put together these uh, ideas to calculate what might these civilizations be like. And I highly recommend people watch it. Uh, you can go to explorescu.org or, or go to the SCU YouTube to watch this. But he is really taking science to scientifically figure out some of the characteristics of some of these civilizations, which I think is the next step. I think it's extremely important. And I said, has anybody reached out to you from the government? This is the type of thing that we need to start doing. Doing. And he says, no, uh, nor is he aware anybody in academia uh, that is doing that sort of thing. So maybe because it could be part of the secrecy, part of the problem. And they talk about these in black mm -hmm. projects, you know, there's, you can't share much information with other people who aren't read into the program. And, and that's some mm -hmm. of the hard, what makes SAP program so expensive and difficult. Um, so that's, I don't think being done, but is probably maybe the next step, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, no, you would think so. And, and I just want to make sure that I, I formally now give uh, Steve McDaniel an apology for not giving him his due credit. And, and I, I blame that on MJ, Steve, because we co-wrote that article uh, about the UAP task force. He knows what I'm talking about. Um, but no, I, you know, here's the thing is, and I've said this to plenty of people, in terms of who the current task force is working with, reaching out with, or what are they doing? I truly don't know. And I will say that I have <laughs> tried. It is everything and everything I have heard about what's going out is completely consistent with how classified programs are run, which means they don't get out um, and it makes it very difficult. And so I, I don't know that if they've reached out to anybody, uh, you know, um, there's no reason for me to believe that they have. Um, and moreover, because, and I've said this, I think last time we spoke, is people need to remember, it's being run by the Office of Naval Intelligence right now. Before that, even with, with Lou, it was run for the Undersecretary of Intelligence. It's being run as an intelligence program. We can argue whether that's good or bad later, but how the intelligence community handles certain things is it's, it's very highly secretive. And it's handled as an intelligence endeavor and not a scientific technical research endeavor. Um, and so, you know, if things, you know, if that shifted, if it moved under DARPA or it moved under one of the Office of Scientific uh, Investigations or Scientific Intelligence uh, instead of one of the military intelligence, you would probably see a shift. And so you would have more of an inclusion. You'd have uh, grants and various contracts maybe being issued out, much like how Bass got involved in OSAP, but going to different academic institutions. Right now it's being treated as an intelligence problem and not a scientific problem. Um, but I think we'd have to include everything. I, I, I definitely would be interested. I'm, I'm looking forward. I did. I was unaware of that SEU video with Dr. Knuth, but I'll check that out because uh, I will say this much in terms of seeing 
the government come out and, and uh, work more with scientists? Um, I would say the potential is very much there because of organizations like SEU, because of Skyhub, that's uh, just got founded up. Uh, you know, I, I I got my my briefing on Skyhub from uh, Dr. Chris Cogswell recently, and thanks, Steve. You know, you didn't give me the briefing, but Chris did. Um, I was very very impressed. I was really really impressed by what I heard and was like, how can I help you? You know, and so I connected them with some people who, um, you know, are using different camera systems for astronomical, you know, meteorological events, but have the same type of things. And I'm like, man, who can I connect you with? How can I help you? Because these are legitimate endeavors. And so I think with things like the SEU or Skyhub, and we're seeing this, when you have legitimate organizations that emerge that are doing legitimate work, you, you will see it. But, mm -hmm. but I think you probably agree with me that, that, um, a lot of what we've seen, at least if you think of the more recent history, they haven't been as legitimate effort. Yeah, at least the civilian ones, definitely. And there's a, definitely mm -hmm. a lack of resources. Um, and, you know, uh, people are afraid to put their credibility or their reputation on the line. But, uh, you know, it makes me think what you were just saying. And uh, to kind of wrap things up, I, I will give another uh, shout out to Paul Dean, the Australian researcher. Uh, his uh, Twitter and website are UFOs documenting the evidence. And he wrote a tweet, why aren't people asking NORAD Air Force Space Command mm -hmm. and NORAD Center for Aerospace Analysis questions? Because he's been able to track in the last few decades while the government allegedly was not looking into this. He was able to track UFO cases back to these organizations and being researched by these organizations and some of the scientific departments inside there. So even if we just get uh, a history of the task force, a history of what work has been done, mm -hmm. if that's all they give us, that would be extremely interesting because we know so little um, since, as I wrote my article, we've been gaslighted on this issue for the last mm -hmm. few decades um, by the government and by the military. So it is, I got to wrap this up, but um, thank mm -hmm. you so much for being here again. Thanks for having me on Alejandro. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. It's always fun. And uh, yeah, no, next time we chat, I'll tell you about my next mission to take on NORAD. Cause I think that's where the next Ooh. political agenda is because mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, and Oh, there's an upcoming, I guess, you know, episode of, unidentified that will cover a great NORAD case and you're mm -hmm. going to be in the episode tomorrow or soon here. I don't know. I mean, I know I, I did, I was interviewed. I am in unidentified, but I don't, I don't know what episode is. is I heard it's, it's tomorrow's. Be. I heard it might be. Um, yeah, it may be the third. Yeah. So tomorrow, but I don't know whether they've split it out and whether there's going to be some more, I don't know, but I, I, it was a fun time. And, and, uh, very impressed with with the people running that show. I'll say Anthony Lapp got a chance to meet him. Great guy. Yeah. Um, very impressed with how they did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, also thank you because you're joining from Germany. So I know how that can be yeah. difficult with the major difference in time zones. No, man, it's always great, man. It's always great to chat. 
Thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thank you all for joining. Some of you might have noticed I've got these little aliens in the background because I'm not in California at Open Minds headquarters. I'm at the UFO Congress headquarters. Um, so that's what those are. They're T-shirts and things like that. So you could check the UFO Congress out if you're interested in that stuff. But uh, thank you all so much for joining. Uh, in 30 minutes, I'll be back on the air speaking about the news of the week similar type of things with my buddy uh, Martin Willis as we record Open Mind GFO Radio. So I uh, hope you can join me for that. Thank you all for coming. And uh, thank you so much, Tim. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely.